All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show. A men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Dr. Carlos Piero. He's the first BJJ physio and licensed physical therapist. Dr. Carlos J. Biero is the executive director, head sports pain expert, and founder of Spark Physiotherapy in Alexandria, Virginia. He's a licensed doctor of physical therapy, a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and a trigger point dry needling expert. He also holds a master's degree in clinical exercise physiology. His combination of hard skills and an ever-present focus on the client experience is what makes Dr. Biero and Spark Physiotherapy an industry leader in all things performance physical therapy. He's most recognised for his work with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and mixed martial art players, as well as collegiate and professional rotary power athletes. His personal experiences as a collegiate baseball player and as a competitive Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner make him a sought-after resource on the field and in the training room. Carlos remains active in several sports and is an avid BJJ enthusiast, motorcycle rider and adventure race runner. Treating sports pain is my skill, returning people to play is my passion, says Dr. Biero. And in this interview, we discuss how to find the right rehab care for yourself as a grappler, how you can add mobility to your standard training and find success in only 20 minutes a day, how you can bulletproof your body for BJJ with its custom design programs and exercises to help you stay on the mats so you can move better feel great and roll forever and so much more but first i just want to quickly highlight that dr biero has space in his virtual uh, visit beta test phase you can sign up via his instagram bio soon the visits will cost over 80 dollars and that will include a six-week diy rehab program and the do's and don'ts healing optimization sheet the total value of these is a bonus 200 dollars so you'd better move fast if you want to get in now and enjoy the beta testing phase and now Let's get to the interview. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You're an absolute star for doing this. I love your work. But for people who maybe well, don't recognize the name, could you give a quick introduction? Sure. Uh, so my name is Dr. Carlos Barrio. I am the owner and executive director of Spark Physiotherapy based in Alexandria, Virginia. And um, about two or three years ago, started the brand BJJ Physio. The brand is designed to uh, assist jiu-jitsu players, mostly enthusiasts, uh, to becoming their own best advocate when it comes to the kinds of injuries that we get on the mat all the time. So um, it, it is a very, well, you might consider it a gentle sport. Many do call it the gentle art, but uh, pain is, is part of the, the process. And, um, you know, I, I just have seen so many of my training partners over the years need to stop training for extended periods of time, not because of mm. severe injury, but just the inability to understand how that injury or that pain presentation um, should be handled so that they can get back on the mat very fast. So that's what the brand has been built around and we're really excited to help people roll as long and as hard as they like. 
and it's done in such an awesome and fun way it's like you seriously have to check it out i loved it coming on i was like this is the guy for me like he's just you make it fun you give it very extensive topics but in a bit in layman terms and you make it fun and you give the the correct terminology because how often do you go on a youtube site and it's like stretch static stretching and hold it for five seconds and you're like this isn't sports specific this isn't jujitsu specific but how did you get into this like how do you get into physiotherapy how did you build this as a career what was the interest for you the initial spark Oh, I love the pun too. Uh, you know, I have been doing strength and conditioning and human performance work since 1998. So uh, my clean shaven uh, face might belie my age, but it's, I'm trying my best to avoid. Look, this is terrible, but uh, it is happening. And so um, when I was a strength coach, I found, you know, I was seeing um, you know amazing variety in different athletes, different sports, uh, different ability levels. And then of course I had my general population clients. Um, but after a certain amount of time, uh, actually it was around about 2004, uh, I started to realize that these same people who really trusted me with their fitness and their wellness and their performance were, you know, would have injuries, little tweaks of muscle little joint sprains, normal things that happen in the course of uh, a competitive mover's life. And um, as, a, as a trainer at the time, I really wasn't equipped to fully get that person back to all the way well. And I said, well, what could I possibly do? I could refer them to someone and that person may or may not have the time, the uh, sports expertise, the ability to generalize a plan back to the activity they want to get to do again. Um, I said, well, I could do this. And physical therapy actually just happened to be in the, the first order circles of people that I have been around because I, as a trainer, was seeing referrals from therapists and also making sure I had a staple of good manual physical therapy people to uh, help my clients along. I said, you know, I can probably do this as good, if not better. And in a way that has a lot more of a handholding, a lot more of a customer service focus, the hospitality focus that I have always valued. Uh, in my personal and professional relationships. And so um, once I realized that physical therapy would round me out to a way where I could really impact um, people in a more holistic manner, a holistic with a, a W, um, that was uh, that was the beginning of the end. I knew that was a, a career focus I wanted to have. Uh, I graduated in 2009, rebranded my strength and conditioning business uh, to Spark mm -hmm. Physiotherapy and never looked back. It's been a great journey. Uh, it's been tough as a single you know, cash practice uh, owner for a long time. And I've been um, doing what we can to uh, uh, enhance our brand, enhance our reach. Uh, but it's been little by little. Um, and it's it's been a fun, a fun ride so far. Because I was delighted when I found you because initially I looked and, you know, you see a hundred BJJ coaches on YouTube. And you were the first ever kind of like physio style, medical, health, the health side of it. And I couldn't find anybody else that really covered that. And I thought it was such a great topic and you do it in such a fun and exciting way. But when I've came from training, like I left about 20 minutes ago, that's why I look like a serial killer who's come through the hedge <laughs> backwards. Um, do you think a problem is like a lot of guys, they're not told that we, you know, you've mentioned we, we're all athletes. We've all got to be oiled and well-maintained bodies and we can be fit and that. Do you think a, a lot of problems is that guys have it as a sense of pride? You know, I've got a bad back, my knees baggered by whatever it is. You know, that it's almost part of our stories. Yeah, I would agree with you. 
uh, it actually reminds me of a story, uh, and it wasn't on a jujitsu mat. This was just a, a lay person and I having a conversation about what I do uh, in a building that I was doing the work. So I was a physical therapist at this time. I had a, a thriving business uh, um, during this time frame, and the person um, kept giving me his own barriers. I, I would say, "So, oh, why don't you work out today? What, what's going on? Oh, I have a bad back." I said, well, you know, my back hurts too. I've got an, in an old injury from playing baseball. I have an old jujitsu injury, that, 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 whatever. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but what kept happening in this conversation, this exchange was bizarre. When I would say, well, I have a similar injury and, and I find ways to get around it and train and stay healthy. Mm -hmm. He would, instead of saying, oh, that's, maybe I should listen or maybe I should try that uh, adjustment to that exercise. He would say, well, my, but my knee is also bad. And I would say, oh, okay, well, have you anything, done anything for your knee? Have you attempted to treat that yourself? Have you asked anybody any questions about how to get your knee better? No, well, you know, but I also have this ankle. And at that moment, I said, okay, wait. The, in the competition of the world, it, it, the winner is not the one with the most maladies. The winner, the winner is the one who could do the most. <laughs> and in the face of those maladies, actually. So if you have injury, pain, disfigurement, uh, surgery, whatever it is, and you are succeeding and you are thriving, you are a better off person than the person who sits there and goes, well, my bad back isn't going to let me exercise. So I'm going to sit down on the couch. And so that's how I just engage all folks. Um, some people would have nothing to talk about if it was not for all the things wrong with them. So some folks kind of need that. They, they need to say, well, my back, back is bad or my knees are, my doctor says I have 90 year old knees, like nonsense like that. Um, but I am very much an empowering kind of person. I think my whole personality is built around like, um, uh, unpacking the barrier. So if someone says, I can't do X because of Y, it's like, well, let's explain if Y is the reason you're not doing X. And if it is not the reason, maybe you found the wrong article on Google. Maybe that study wasn't really about you. Um, maybe you should have run it by someone who can kind of put what it is you want to get back to be able to do up against how good your body moves right now. And then we can make a plan. Most people don't even get to that part. They just say, here's what's wrong with me. Therefore, I cannot do all these things, you know, would require my knee or my back. So yes, the answer to your question would be that uh, I do think some guys uh, and gals hang on to injuries and pain in a way that uh, is sort of a woe is me thing. And you know, fixing things is a lot harder sometimes than you might think. And uh, you know, maybe they are okay with hobbling around. You know, We have to just suffer with the consequences of our choices, whether it's a nutrition choice, an exercise choice, a sleep hygiene choice. If you're fine with the consequences, go for it. I have no problem for you. But if you complain about it, and then I give you the answer, and then we don't see follow through. That's on you. Yeah, it's it's almost like they want to give an excuse to come out of it. You know, sure. I sure. I get a lot of people like what's it? They always say guys always think they can get the girl and win the fight. You know, they can right. never actually show it, but they could, they know that they could do it if they wanted to. And I think that's the problem is a lot of guys wear it as a badge of honor. You know, it's the oh, yeah, back in my day, I used to do this, but now with my foot and knee, I can't play football. Well, I can't do this now because of this. But how do we start identifying the issues? Because you've got a great video on the like the overhead press, uh, Scott, to kind of work out mobility and things like that. Now, when I started jiu-jitsu, I had tight hips from uh, deadlifting too much. I didn't realize like that my um, hip, my sort of my shoulders were really tight and stuff like you know that from squatting in certain positions. How do you start identifying something where most people have just come off the couch or don't really understand that that's not good pain? That shouldn't be that way. Yeah, um, that's a terrific question. Um, number one, 
utilizing physical medicine uh, in the same way as people utilize their dentist or their physician, uh, chiropractor or their trainer um, is the first step in this. Uh, Many times we'll see people come in with an injury, a shoulder pain, for example, like you're talking about, and um, they'll never have spoken to someone who can speak the language that they are trying to get back to doing. So if they're a jujitsu player and you don't use the words that are relevant on the mat, like, okay, well, please explain to me how you injured your shoulder. Did you, uh, did you drill omoplatas? Were you working um, darses? Were you stuck in an odd crank? Did you, were you attempting, were you on top or were you on bottom? Were you inverted or were you not? And once you say these words to someone who, if they're in front of you, there's minimal motivation at least, but you, you know they have um, a desire to get back to being able to do what they previously could do. You really turn on this light bulb for them, that I'm in the right place. I'm in front of the right person and I'll be able to talk through my problems in a way that is meaningful so I can go back to do my soul-filling thing. And unfortunately, we're not good physical therapists on the whole at marketing to the world at all the ways that we can be powerful because physical therapy is an extremely powerful discipline. Um, We can use our brains in understanding all the anatomy. We can use our hands in, in being able to impart many manual techniques. And then we can do all kinds of cool exercise that we can make really specific right down to the very nitty gritty of why that Darce isn't working for you, why your shoulder still hurts when you internally rotate it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so once we can find where you're missing, either where you're leaking energy or you're missing range of motion or strength, we can go right after it. That comes just from having a physical therapist, a doctor, a trainer who can take that step back, say, we know what this should look like. I have experience getting people from that position to where you are. Here's where you are. Now let's execute the plan. Executing the plan is simple getting people to do the execution bit, that's the hard part. And that's where they will always separate the wheat from the chaff. Because that's something I definitely found is the second you start mentioning, oh, I had this guy in Turtle and I went for a Dars, and, you know, you can see people kind of oh, going, true. you know, <laughs> they just shake their head and they go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and you can, you know, fine well that they're going to give you the standard protocol for things. I mean, I've broken a finger um, in jiu-jitsu. I've had turf toe, you know, like, um, damage to my leg. There are so many different kind of standard jujitsu things, but sure. how do we start working like with a, a physio? How do we actually start using the language, identify the pain in a certain way that you make sense to you and you can understand what we're talking about? Because it's not a normal thing to do simulated murder that we do with people yes. and we're trying to rip things out the way and twist and, be, you know, how do we explain this? So, and the range of motion we need to do. How do we speak to you guys so that you understand what we're talking about and can actually start identifying the issues? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think you could reverse engineer the way that you have just described the way I explain technical things, right? So a lot of times Mm -hmm. when I'll do a video, the question is not, I have shoulder pain. The question is, uh, I was told by somebody that I have torn my AC joint. I have a grade three tear of my AC joint. So that's words that makes a lot of sense to physical therapists. It might not make sense to any jujitsu player, but they might know it's shoulder pain. Okay, well, I got to go. How do I explain why that got hurt in your game, which I could do any physical therapist could do, any of them, but they may not understand what you want to go back to being able to do. And so I have advocated for my own clients, if they travel away, put your therapist in a dars, (laughs) which is not standard practice. But when 
a, a sports medicine movement professional feels the demands at the elbow, the demands at the shoulder, the demands of your shoulder, what I'm trying to, where I'm trying to put your shoulder, the light bulb is immediate. So that is one superpower I think that most physical therapists and maybe I would say some orthopedic surgeons have is to be able to watch a movement, even if they're not really, really familiar with it and say, now I understand what you're talking about. Like, like immediately. Um, I was talking earlier uh, with uh, with Christian, our social media guy, about um, I can't watch a sport on television, any, almost, almost any sport without extreme interest when injuries occur. Like, I will replay it. I'll go, oh, that guy tore his MCL. There's no way he's not going to, you know, need to rehab for this long. And I'll put a post about it. Like some silly like that. Or I'll, I'll tell a friend. Um, save one sport. There's probably one sport that I could not do that about. But um, that's one superpower that we have because we sort of know how this all goes together in a way that's very different from other disciplines in medicine. Orthopedic surgeons can get in there deep and cut and do the right things. The carpentry, but even those guys are limited to like, I like shoulders. I'm a shoulder guy or I'm a foot surgeon or I'm a knee surgeon. So the big picture, man, that's really what physical therapists do well. So when you are interviewing your physical therapist, and I highly recommend that for everyone, whether it's PT or your doctor, you should be asking them the questions to know if they're the right fit for you. Can you, you might ask, have you ever heard of jujitsu? Do you understand what wrestling is? Are, are you familiar with Sambo? Do you understand judo? Like if they have some of those uh, principles in their head, they might not, be jujitsu brown belts, but oh no, well, I'm a, but I'm a judoka. I actually trained jujitsu. I trained judo in my in college, and now uh, you know I, I understand what you're talking about. One of my favorite orthopedic surgeons at Georgetown is a third don judoka, like this nasty judo player in the Junior Olympics in the 1980s, like really a killer. And now he's one of the most renowned orthopedic surgeons in the world. But he and I can have a conversation about grappling, and we'll he and I have sparred. It's like okay, I'll, I'll go to you. And you can smash me into the ground and then we'll go to my gym and I'll turn your ankle inside out. So, you know, it's so fun, but you have to be an advocate for yourself. And so uh, that's the number one thing when I'm educating, whether it's via the internet, whether it's a video, whether it's a virtual visit, I'm going to create somebody who's a better advocate for their own health. And then that will allow them to seek out and get the best care possible wherever they live. And do you think that understanding of the human body, it's like the Terminator, it makes you a better killer? Do you know, yeah. do you find when you're in a role, you're looking at somebody and saying, oh, yeah, that's, you know, he's at full rotation here. I can do yeah. this. Do you find it helps uh, an understanding of the anatomy makes you a better jujitsu player? It does, although I'm going to speak out of turn because uh, it should make me a better jujitsu player. <laughs> I feel like I could be a lot better uh, if I used all my powers for evil instead of good. But you're not incorrect. Um, the problem is never, uh, you know, finishing the moves. The problem is getting in the right position where they are trapped. So if you've trained long enough, you know that the game is really control. If I have your arm over here, there's very little you're going to do to get it back. But that's the hard part. Hmm. Finishing a choke, finishing a wrist lock, finishing an omoplata or an Americana, that's not that hard. But the place I use it the most, and actually it came up in treatment the other day because I was palpating uh, some muscles in this area from someone who said that they had some shoulder and neck pain. Very common presentation in here. It was a grappler's neck patient. And so we needled a, a muscle called the scalenes here. And I was palpating it to figure out where we were going to go, what we we're going to do. And that person was a brown belt. Uh, I said, have you ever used this on the mat? I said, actually, I've used this specifically on the mat, um, not to, as a submission, but I wanted to bug their neck in a way that they would move their head. 
So I had a choke going in on one side and I couldn't get it over. So I crept up to their scalenes and I pushed in and they went, and then I bring my arm underneath their, their chin. And so it was a compliance move, similar to like the smother where you're like mounted and you want them to move their face. Yeah, sure. You can do that. Or you get their, you get the bridge of their nose and you get their chin to live up. Um, that's how I use them. So I'm going to apologize to anybody that I wind up in front of sparring that I don't know real well. You're going to get the business. You're going to get some of that. <laughs> it's just going to be part of how we play. Because that's like when you see people, you know, like um, they'll start doing the window wiper. Like they'll have your, oh. hold your head and they lift your the elbow up and you see their necks going in weird ways. And people are like, yeah. when you're new to it, you kind of go, what the? Because it's, it's known as a gentle art. and sure. You get barred through it, but you learn so much from it. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people struggle with. It's like, how do I, you know, like you go to say you're a baseball player, you're going to throw it, you're going to get damaged in the shoulder. You're going to power lifting, you're going to get tight quads or whatever it is um, from squatting too much or, you know, that kind of like, um, but when we come to jujitsu, it's a whole body experience and you've got, it's like a 3D chess match where you're using this arm to do this, this arm to do that, this leg to, put, to hold guard, this to wrap the hook in, et cetera, et cetera. How do you see grapplers getting injured? How do you, you know, how do we start seeing the common faults that new players and sort of seasoned veterans are having on the mats? Do you see a similarities in what they're coming to you with? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, number one, uh, the literature actually is extremely supportive of the idea that jujitsu is the gentle art. It's actually kind of interesting because if you have trained long enough, man, there are the parts of your body that hurt are just bizarre. Um, you know, rib, oh, yeah. intercostal pain, trunk pain, like these little muscles in the shoulders. But from um, what we know in our experience and the best evidence, um, Highly competitive players typically hurt small joints, wrists, fingers, ankles, feet, elbows, those kinds of things. Um, enthusiasts typically are coming in primarily with back and neck pain, more central axial pain. Now, I, in reading, the, in reading all the evidence and staying on top of this stuff, um, can make my conclusions uh, based, on my, based on what I've seen and how I train in that the guys who have done this a long time and the gals who are really, really good, the brown and the black belts, don't waste a lot of energy in the middle of their body. Their elbows are in, their knees are, their, you know, their hips are strong, their back is straight. They're not going to let you drop your, their head down. And that is sparing of all the neck and the back and trunk musculature because they are built up into a way where they know you're not going to break my posture again. But if you watch these high-level grappling matches, it's ankle locks and knee bars and heel hooks wrist locks, like the stuff that happens so many layers beyond just passing the guard and getting side control that really could only happen at the highest level of competition. But the enthusiasts, guys like you and I at this point, definitely like me, um, <clears throat> who are using this for fitness and for extra, you know, for, for you know, some self-defense, some community tribe thing, you know, like I really like my, my training family. So it's all part of that experience. Um, we get hurt in the big muscles like your back and your hips and all these things because the time we have, we spend on the mat. And that's actually the biggest issue I, that I have had when people come and say, well, I heard a thing. And I say, well, do X, Y, and Z and you'll be okay. They don't even start. They never even got to X. It's like, well, how come you didn't do the things I asked you to do? Those are going to help your knee or your shoulder. And they say, well, I didn't have time. Like, if I have time, I'm going to train. It's like, well, yes, 
then what you're telling me is training at this level is not your top priority. And that's totally okay. Uh, I'm not going to place my priorities on somebody else. I, you know, jujitsu has its place in my life and it might have a different place in your life. And Gordon Ryan thinks about it completely different on top of that. But Gordon Ryan is not going to allow an injury to stay around a long time. He's going to have either a team of people, a plan to execute. He's going to have his own advocacy that he's doing. Or, hey, I'm not training today because of this injury. Or I'm going to apply some ice. Or I'm going to eat a little differently. Or I'm going to rest more. Okay, that's good. So he is doing X, Y, and Z so that he can make BJJ a very high priority on his list. But those of us who can do it less regularly or less intensity have to make some decisions. And, and I think that's the biggest reason why people don't take that step to just execute a plan to get better and stay pain-free or pain-limited on the mat. So how should we approach, um, you know, BJJ rehab? Because just now, for example, I'm feeling like I've got, you know, one of those toys where the the, the head pops out of the neck and it feels like it's stuck in halfway through. I've uh-huh. got mat burn on my toe. I feel like my lower back has been bent over like an iron bar. You know, it's... I could literally go down my body and go, ow, 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 ow. You know, best feeling in the world while you're training, but agony after. Yeah. And that's that's why I was so keen because, I mean, I'm 39 now, and I was so keen to have you on because I know I can't keep up physically with the young ones like I used to. So I need to make sure that I'm working efficiently and effectively. So how do we look at this in terms of, what we build up, you know, to restructure the body and strengthen that initial structures. And how much do we look at fixing what's wrong? How much, Yeah. how do we work this rehab angle? That's terrific. I I would say that number one, we have to sort of establish what our own baseline is. Uh, People kid themselves, like you've already kind of mentioned a couple of times about how athletic they were in their past. So therefore that's how athletic they are how strong they might have been at some point. Oh, yeah, well, I used to bench 350, so I don't need to bench. It's like, okay, I'm not saying bench is that important, but if you still can't bench 350, then let's put away the idea that you bench 300 pounds. Um, But understand then, okay, this is my baseline, and because of my injuries to whatever body parts I've got, uh, I'm limited to a certain kind of game. I have to play bottom game. I I really have to um, avoid um, anyone under 25 with – (laughs) <laughs> with fewer than three stripes on a white belt. Like um, sometimes that's a, a good decision to make. Uh, and I would, I would recommend that for folks my age, at least I'm 42 now. And um, I will choose certain folks um, as my go-to guys for warming up because I know they're not going to blast on me crazy. Uh, and then, um, you know, after a few rounds, I can go with basically anybody because I'm warmed up enough. But um, choose, choosing your training partners is first, understanding your baseline is second, and then understanding what are you trying to fix? So if it's your hips, what movements am I unable to perform on the mat because of this hip immobility? Now, we've we have picked apart hip mobility as a thing. Let's give hip mobility work two solid weeks of effort. It doesn't have to be three days, you know, three, two days a week by itself. It could be, I've just finished sparring and for 20 minutes, I'm going to do these three drills that are about improving my hip mobility. Then after that two or three weeks goes by, I'm going to remeasure something. And in our case, which is great, you could be fancy and measure uh, the actual ability of your hip to move around space, rotation and extension range of motion. Or 
you can say, well, there was that one movement I was trying to get into. There was that one position I could not do on the mat because my hips were tight. I'm going to try that again. So now you've set your baseline with that movement that is jujitsu specific. You've done a little bit of treatment to yourself. And now you're going to go try that movement again. And if you feel any appreciable difference, but haven't changed anything else other than adding a couple days a week of mobility, you did the job. You did the work. Now just pick the next thing or set the next goal and do it again and again and again. And this kind of thing can take a few weeks to completely change how your body moves around. This is not years of work, but it's it's focus. It's you know doing it regularly with the right intensity and understanding the why you are doing things. Because I think a big problem is a lot of people will say, I need better conditioning. I need better mobility. I need better like flexibility. But these are such kind of open terms that they're not very... Could you go into a little bit about, is there a way to identify, you know, oh, he needs better rotational power or he needs better, like, on the X-axis or Y-axis? How how detailed can we get into this to look at, you know, I can't bridge powerfully from my hips when my feet are not close to me or something like that? How do we start analyzing and looking ourselves and thinking that's where I need work and that's actually the in-depth problem I'm facing? Yeah, that's uh, what we do here is what we call our uh, sports combines. We have uh, a combine or a, a data battery, a testing battery for every one of the different niche sports groups we work with. Um, as a former baseball player um, at a high level, uh, that was sort of where we started a lot of our uh, data analysis work. But as we mm. added other athletics groups and as I got into jujitsu and advanced myself, um, it became a group I really enjoyed working with. I really kind of connected with. So we created a jujitsu combine. Essentially, it was about a dozen different tests, all of which uh, measure specific uh, hip, shoulder, trunk, range of motion and strength um, data. And then a bunch of the peripheral joints, elbows and wrists and things that, you know, are required to just be on the mat, normal human motion things. And then we took uh, another list, another group of jujitsu players, but all black belts. And we said, okay, we want, we want to stratify this group of black belts as the criterion mover, because everyone in this room who isn't a black belt aspires at someday, may probably to be at least at that level. Maybe they don't get a black belt one day. Not everybody does, but they look up to that black belt, and that black belt can balance on that ball only with his knees for eight minutes. How long can you do it? He can do 45 push-ups. How many can you do? I mean, very basic. You can get very, very detailed. Like, it's a specific move I'm trying to get down. This darts, I cannot get enough intern, uh, external rotation to finish that. I've got to do something else. Okay, you can get real specific there, too. So what I would recommend is creating some form of your own baseline. If you know hip mobility is a problem, you can just do a knee to wall test for down leg hip mobility um, data. That's simple. And you could remeasure that. We can measure the actual range of motion of your, of your shoulders ability to go over your head. That should be 180 total degrees of arc. Um, so there are no norms, but I would recommend that everyone sort of jot down where their body's baseline is and then use that data to move the needle and, and overall improve your movement on the map. That's the best way to do it is to get your own baseline. Because I think that's what a lot of people struggle with. It's like they know that they're gassing out and around. So they say, oh, that's conditioning. They know that, you know, if somebody flips their legs over their head, like when they get stuck, they go, 
oh my god, you know, like oh, that's, I just need to be more flexible. But we don't actually really think about what these terms mean, and I think that's something that we really struggle with. I mean, do you do you see a difference in genders, age? Do you know? Do you find that like older grapplers are maybe affected differently? Or compared to younger grapplers, does gender affect it? You know, do kids have different issues compared to? I think was it green stick fractures they used to have, where it didn't the bone didn't break properly, like it snap compared to like an adult would do. Does that happen in jujitsu? Or sure does it sure does. I would say the first factor, it's a very important one, is age. Um, young kids bounce. Young kids barely break. <laughs> Young kids uh, are bendy. Uh, yeah, green stick, fra- green stick fractures uh, are not uncommon. Although in the in the training realm of jujitsu, I think it's somewhat frowned upon to be uh, allowing kids, even in the competitive levels, to really crank on submissions, which I think is very, very, very smart. Um, but you know, you get to a level at thirteen, fourteen, and that those rules go away in competition, and now you're sort of on your own. You need to know when to tap. Um, and so those folks can be subject to the same uh, destructive forces that you just place on different joints, um, but they're going to heal faster. So with age, it isn't um, you're, gonna, you're more bendy. It isn't you're stronger. It's you recover faster. You are a regenerator when you're young. And as we age, the ability to regenerate tissue slows down. Not to mention the fact that as we age, things like, you know, family, job, real life responsibilities, those are not things you worry about when you're 12. If I can train, I'm training. I can go to the gym and go to the gym. If I can go to baseball practice and go to baseball practice. Now, if I want to go, you know, shoot hoops or go to a bowling alley or play some pool, um, I'd have to like clear that with the wife, make sure we had a nanny. Oh, we had jujitsu night. Well, I got to skip jujitsu tonight because of that. Yep. What is this? Um, so that on top of slower regeneration and a higher priority place on things that are outside of your own mental and physical health doesn't help. So I would ask people to recenter themselves. Again, setting up a, a hard, you know, four tests combine for yourself or five tests combine for yourself is the beginning process of self-advocating. Like I'm getting information from me. I'm trying to help myself. And once you can focus on that, everything you do around that to execute the plan to make those things better, this kind of starts happening. But it does not happen until you begin to collect that data and then understand that when you're 40, things are going to do a little different thing than they did when you were 20 or because it's a horrible feeling that isn't it? when you look back and go, I could do this when I was younger. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to get crushed because this guy's, you know, been powerlifting for the last 15 years and he's only like four. You know, like it, they come in yeah. and they're all built like brick shit houses and they're all got yeah. six packs and you're like, yeah. here we go. And they well, all wear it. Like, the fun part though? like, isn't that the most fun when like you see a brand new white belt, has got his belt tied on wrong, he's got the affliction shirt underneath his rash guard. And you, you know he just watched, like, UFC 270 billion, whatever, I don't know where I'm anymore. Um, and he's chomping at the bit to grab the fat guy in the room who's got the tattered gi and what purple belt, blue belt, who cares what that guy is. And I just smile. I smile, and, I, you know, it's going to be good. And then you just wind up on top and do it again and do it again and do it again. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with um, – I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up his real name. I'm sorry, Chewy, one of my favorite internet guys for jujitsu. Uh, Chujitsu is the brand. Uh, uh, Nick the, is his person. Uh, and Nick, I'm, I'm, uh, Nick Alban. Okay, yes, love his stuff. 
I don't pay, I don't get paid anything. I don't know him personally. He's a terrific. Um, but he put it a good way. He has a black belt that said, uh, he calls it the rich rule. Is that the guy? His one of his black belts. Um, upon sparring with anyone new, get three taps as absolutely fast as possible. And I've subscribed to this now because the, the story went that he trained, Nick trained with someone who Nick allowed to pass him. Okay, right, you got that? So Nick was training with somebody, new guy. Nick let the man pass. Great, fine. Working on technique, working on letting somebody get deep. And then at a subsequent tournament, that guy was going around to the different competitors saying he had tapped Nick Alden. And he's like, you did what now? <laughs> like, what? Oh, yeah. it's like, I let you pass. But wait, mm-hmm. how was, this is not the same thing. So from that moment, he said, we're doing three tap rule. I'm going to tap you three times inside of the first 60 seconds, and then I'll let you play. But first, we're going to establish who can crap on the mat here. Because <laughs> that's the thing. It's like you get these guys that come out and they go, we're working a technique. Now, you're told as you start getting into blue belt, you know, purple and working technique, go at 30% resistance. So, and then you get the white belt who comes in and they spaz through and they're like pushing in full force and you're kind of like, Yep. We're working technique, calm down. And, it, you know, you see the change in them as they kind of get into training. But, I mean, the one that, like, I loved your videos on, you know, like putting in a darse. Oh, I can't fully employ it because I've not got as good rotational power. You know, I oh, I can't do my triangle as well because I've got issues with my hips, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I never even thought about how white belts, for example, might not be able to do moves efficiently because their body wasn't effective and the movement patterns we're just told oh you got bad technique mm-hmm. are there general kind of fixes that you would start working with somebody to have the biggest you know sort of reply in helping the the highest number of jiu-jitsu positions submissions you know is there a kind of protocol yes. you would go with them um i would actually say that the focus because remember i said that the enthusiasts typical uh regions of pain are in the back and then their hips and kind of their axial skeleton, kind of like the part where their spine is stacked up and all the muscles that surround them. Mm. So if I could flip a switch and give everyone 45 degrees of hip internal rotation in all planes and 20 degrees of hip extension, I'd probably solve 85% of everyone's back, hip, and knee pain on the mat. But understanding what you need to do to improve your hip extension in those ranges of motion, hip rotation in those ranges of motion, and overall trunk mobility and strength on the mat is its own question. And that's actually why we've built uh, the BJJ Physios uh, exercise demo library. That's why we've built out all the programming so that specifically if I have back pain, we're going to follow the back pain programming, which is going to address the lowest hanging fruit um, when we get an injury or when we want to uh, you know, kind of rid ourselves of needing, needing to deal with those injuries again. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I hope that answers your question. It's a uh, kind of a long winded answer. No, I love it. I love how you're, you're making it fun and, and understandable, but it's also making sense because it's in a jujitsu language. You know, it's not just kind of, Oh, and do five static stretches before bed and Oh, I'll go for a run because you know, it used to be in powerlifting, eat cottage cheese and nuts when you were wanting like snacks. I hated both of them. And the second <laughs> you would say to somebody, okay, well, what can I take? Uh, uh, oh, you know, and they would go quiet because that was the standard stock answer. Mm-hmm. But I would get told, go work out three times a week, 
jujitsu two times a week, you know, and as you get older and more responsibilities, that's difficult. Sure. What kind of time frame, you know, intensity, duration, frequency, etc., would you have somebody working on mobility, working on their flexibility, in addition to training, in addition to living, full-time jobs, cooking, etc.? Yeah. How much do we need to do to get the benefit, really? Yeah, I'm going to speak to the enthusiast here because I think uh, those of us who have other responsibilities and can't make jujitsu our number one priority uh, is probably the majority of folks. Yeah. And um, I would say that because for those folks, time as a major constraint uh, seems to be the theme, uh, I actually wouldn't ask that they add any days of training in. I would say, how many days a week do you train jujitsu? Okay, well, I go twice a week. Okay, that's great. Terrific. I don't care what level you are. That's a solid, um, you know, minimum amount of time. Well, how long are you on the mat? Okay, well, we do we do a warm up and then we'll drill for twenty minutes and then we spar a bunch of rounds, maybe an hour total, an hour and ten minutes. Okay, what if just on that day, instead of leaving after an hour and ten, you stayed for twenty more and did those five things we talked about earlier about your hip mobility? Right there, number one, you're super warm. You have an excessive amount of uh, endogenous chemicals that drop pain because you are physically active. You are doing something fun. You're doing something difficult. All that improves your descending inhibition. That is your brain's ability to attenuate attenuate pain. Um, you're, you got it all all the benefit of that right there. So don't leave. Don't get into your car and sit still for a half hour to drive home with all this great shit in your body that is ready to move. Go move it. So you got to take your book and say, right, well, before I was six inches from the wall and I couldn't get my knee to touch the wall. That's either a demonstration of my poor ankle mobility or my poor hip mobility. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to knee on the ground. I'm going to set my mark up with some tape and I'm going to do five minutes of oscillations on each leg for my hip mobility. Okay, then I'm going to do um, an ankle mobility mark. Cool. And then I'm going to do that. So I'm taking my 20 minutes on the mat with all my good warm body, all my good hydration, all my good endogenous chemicals for pain relief. Then I go home, I drink, I eat, and I repeat it again. And this allows you to take the next day, in the case of the two-a-week training guy, to rest, to eat well, hydrate further. Maybe they want to do a run or a jog or you get in the pool. That's all fine. Mm. But it's not, you must do more. You have to do more. We need to figure out how to do more with the same time. So we have to prioritize certain things. But no one's going to miss 15 or 20 minutes after you're sparring. I mean, you're probably jawing with your training partner the whole time anyway. You probably don't even actually leave. So grab that training partner and say, listen, I need you to hold this, hold my belt while I grab on and I pull back and I do some shoulder retractions. I'm going to grab the belt. I'm going to pull my shoulder back in retraction. I'm going to come back here. So we're going to do some shoulder retraction reps. Or we're going to do some, um, I'm going to help you with some neck gliding things because I had some neck pain. Okay, whatever. But be smart about your time because um, that isn't a real excuse. It's like the same guy that goes, oh, I have a bad back, so I can't drive jiu-jitsu. It's like you will continue to have a bad back unless you try something. So using the excuse as having a bad back to stop doing things is only going to make your bad back worse. Um, so that's how I would recommend people um, just make that a part of their normal training life, and uh, they'll see tremendous dividends if they add that just right back in the training. Because it's something I did when I first started. I was like, okay, I want to get back into strength training as well. I want to get fitter. I want to get stronger. And people are like, okay, you need two days of tra- of strength training. And you need to be smashing the weights, you know, like high like reps and high weights. And I was like, 
okay, and I've got to do that and that. And I was getting tired from like three days of jujitsu anyway. And, you know, I was playing five-a-side football, um, well, soccer to you guys. And, you know, I was thinking, okay, how? and I'm struggling to recover because my sleep pattern wasn't great. My eating wasn't great. And I think that's the thing is guys think it needs to be an hour in the gym. There needs to be three hours in the gym. I need to come out there in a sweaty mess. Mm-hmm. What is a good workout? Is there criteria of when we know we're going too far? Is there good pain, bad pain? Is there that kind of limit that we know we've gone too far? You know, like how does it affect older people as well? Because I was told, for example, I shouldn't run because tight hips. As you get older, it's something about the, it does something to your hips. So I should use a stationary bike for cardio more. Is this kind of thing true? Yeah, so that's a lot. There's a lot of questions in there. Let's piece apart. <laughs> that's, uh, welcome to the show. Piece, <laughs> let's piece apart the uh, the you had you had mentioned um, before we had started talking about uh, your hips and being told that running was bad for you. Mm. And to that, I say, fooey, like just silly, silly. Now, what I would say is, uh, or I would ask as a follow up is, do you enjoy running? No. Okay. Great. So why are we even talking about running? <laughs> so, you know, I, I hear so many people recommend exercise, different exercise forms, different exercise um, delivery systems, different equipment, um, without ever asking, like, what does the client want? Like, what do they enjoy doing? Hmm. Um, I do not do cardio. I freaking hate cardio. I don't like jogging. I think running breeds cowardice. Stand and fight. So if I want to improve my cardio, I have to think about ways to use uh, other apparatus in a metabolic way. So I love kettlebells. I have worked with kettlebells for 20 years. I've taught all manner of kettlebells, swinging, pressing, squatting technique, all this nonsense. I just really like that apparatus. Well, you cannot tell me that if I made you swing a kettlebell 10 times on one hand and 10 times on the other hand, every minute on the minute for 20 minutes, that you would not be taxing your cardiovascular system. That is an absolutely great metabolic workout. It is cardio, flat out. Um, does it do other things that benefit my jujitsu game? Absolutely. Your scapulothoracic strength, like your muscles between your shoulder blade and your rib cage, make those strong. Your actual sagittal plane, your extension back muscles, absolutely going to get stronger. Your butt, your hamstrings, your feet, absolutely going to get strong. So I like um, kettlebell training for a metabolic equivalent work for jujitsu because it asks for very similar demands stiffness with power strength and stability with mobility that's the jujitsu game but you could do that with a barbell you could do that if you wanted to train five days a week i i like to get ahead of the trolls it'll help because your comment section will be shorter because i will not be fending off people who don't know what the hell they're talking about but there will always be someone that says this guy says you only got to train 20 minutes after sparring twice a week and you'll be better like, well yes if you do nothing otherwise 20 minutes more will be better would it be better to train three days a week with a well-structured split absolutely would it be better to train five days a week with a really, really well-structured split setup and appropriate nutrition and appropriate rest? Yes. But the more you're going to do those things, the better the better you better be at nutrition and sleep and other methods of recovering from uh, from the normal beatings of, of loading your body. Um, so you can do it and more would be better. But if more is not realistic, don't even think about it. Let's, let's figure out what is meaningful to the person who's doing it, 
what is doable by the person who's doing it and what they like doing. And then you build a plan. I love that because it's very rare to actually get asked, well, do you like doing that? You know, it's just kind of, here's the stock answer, on you go. And I think that's why I love your site so much because when I look at, like, say, your social media, you have what appear to be very simple, basic, short bursts of exercises like that you can do with a partner, you can do by yourself, but work on areas of that are going to help the body benefit more effective for jujitsu, heal issues like your your elbows, your neck, etc. And there's a lot of great stuff in there. And I think that's great because you can actually just add a 15-minute session at the end of a workout. While most people are shoot, talking and stuff, you can just do it quickly and then still leave at the same time as everybody else. How do we start making a warm-up for jiu-jitsu? You know, how do we make it sport-specific? But how do we make sure the body's warmed up? And what I've noticed is even now, a lot of the young guys I train with will not do cool-downs. They do nothing. They walk straight out, get changed, go out the door. And they don't realize they've got a world of pain coming as they age. Yeah. How how should we incorporate warm-ups, cool-downs, and not spend like 50 minutes static stretching in yoga positions that make us look dodgy? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are certain components every, cool, every warm-up and every cool-down should have, and it should be very sports-specific. Um, we are getting ready to uh, drop uh, what we call our perfect BJJ Dino. Um, and I'm happy to give uh, a free version uh, to every one of the listeners. So I would be really, really excited if people tried this out and felt it out. But the idea is it's uh, only 10 minutes. <laughs> I have it timed out. So uh, you'll do 60 seconds of jogging, you know, 10 feet of this mobility, 10 seconds of this one. And it's spelled out very, very simply. And it, it covers all of the bases without you having to think about what are you trying to do. You need to uh, start the process of increasing your blood flow to your extremities. That's just like cardiovascular work, very simple. You need to um, start and prime the process of joint lubrication, but in a way that makes sense for jujitsu. But in the beginning, when you're just gotten off the jump rope or jogging around the mat, that could literally be anything, bear crawls or something like that. You know, it's all fine. Um, making sure the soft tissues like the ligaments that support your wrists, elbows, your hands, your shoulders are primed for the kind of pushing and pulling tension. So there are drills specific to that. And again, you'll see those in the perfect BGG Dino. Um, and then lastly, the directional and movement biases. So if today I go, I'm working on a, the darts. That's what we're drilling. That's what we're doing. And I knew because I asked coach, hey, coach, what's the drill of the day? Hey, we're working on dart strokes. Okay, cool. I know. I better do something extra to improve my overall shoulder rotation ability and my protraction and retraction ability of my scapula. That is the ability for my arm to get longer and shorter without actually moving my body, right? So that's protraction and retraction. Then the dyno is set. You know what you're going to do? Warm up the warm up the circular uh, circulation system, warm up the joints, warm up the muscles and soft tissues, do the sports specific, and your training. That's it. It does not take a long time in the cool down. It's usually just a small version of that, but in reverse to include the mobility there. Because that's something I did notice, like, say tonight, for example, I went in and there was maybe 20, 30 guys in there. And we do the thing where a lot of them could warm up. Now, there's guys who did no warm-ups. They just sat about waiting for the class to start. Yeah. There are guys who did something that they've maybe been taught in physical education. You know, that warm-up they did. Or somebody maybe did a warm-up that they did before they played soccer. They, it's, you know, that's the stretches I learned. That's what I'm going to do. 
and you really noticed it of the, the the range and then you would do like bear crawls cartwheels forward rolls back rolls as we do the jiu-jitsu warm-up mm-hmm. and you realize like how out of shape a lot of guys are you know they can't do cartwheels they can't do a forward roll without um having to push themselves up with their hands you know they go over their neck and it, it's it's scary how out of shape you are till you actually start doing a sport like jiu-jitsu but how do we incorporate other habits into this like do you think about like sleep eating what would you want like a mental warm-up to get into jiu-jitsu do you go into those kind of things uh nutrition and sleep are absolutely vitally important and i think because of the way the internet is and social media seems to have shaped um like the marketing landscape there are a lot of opportunities to buy buy items buy programs buy gadgets that are on the fringes of the ability to change things like your health mm-hmm. foam rollers and balls and sticky bumpy things and whatever it's all fine but those same people are missing like five hours a night of sleep are eating a thousand calories a day. And most, okay. Right. So, you know, (laughs) we got big picture stuff that if we could just nail down Hmm. all that other stuff would be completely accessory, maybe still required for some people. I don't say foam rollers are bad. They have their use. Uh, Is their use overstated sometimes? Absolutely. But Yes, it's a piece of equipment that can be used. But if you're not sleeping good, eating right, and generally exercising minimum three days a week, you're not doing what you can do, the easiest, lowest hanging fruit to be a healthy person. So let's start there. And that's always where I begin with people is like, okay, what does a normal day of eating look like? What do you have in the morning? How long does it take for you to, um, you know, have a pre-workout? How long before you, how long after you train are you eating? Uh, we have to ask these questions. How much sleep are you getting? Is it comfortable sleep? Is it restful sleep? What are the reasons you're not getting restful sleep? We dig into that. Many times, you know, it's some psychological stuff. So meditation, meditate, uh, meditative approach uh, can be important. And I'm not a big meditation guy. I'm not a huge Hickson, Gracie, breathe guy. But I completely understand the merit of that ability to hmm. slow your mind and to center yourself and to feel what it is in your human vessel and take steps to make everything move as good as it possibly can. That's absolutely important. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. So do you think that's like, instead of going for the lacrosse ball for the tight muscles, the foam roller, the compression leg sleeves, a lot of guys should just stop and go, okay, let's check, am I sleeping well? Am I up 15 times to the toilet? Am I eating after healthy meals? Am I drinking? Am I smoking? You know, is it, should we be looking at those bigger issues rather than, you know, like try to save money by stopping the three pound lies? You know, we're asking for the raise. We're going for the big, the big goals. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. 
it's amazing how few people would actually stop that. They would go, oh, no, I just need to be stretching more. I need to be doing this rather than you're working two jobs. You've got a young kid. Just, you know, you've got, it's, it's scary how we, we always want the latest gadgets, don't we? And do you find that's the problem? A lot of guys aren't are wanting to use these apps and technology and stuff rather than just writing out and going, my arm felt sore. I couldn't reach the DARS properly. I'm going to do some shoulder mobility. How, yeah, how should we I track one, this? I think one feels like work and the other one feels like a hack. Hmm. But if you did the, if you were very honest about, uh, you know, that bumpy ball that vibrates that you could take out of the freezer and said, how many minutes did I stop my life to use this fucking thing Sorry. Um, versus how many minutes you could have actually done it? Um, Evidence-based, known effective hip mobility stretches for those same five minutes. Which one would be better? It, it's not even close. Like the literature says so. Uh, our experience with these players, these grapplers says so. Um, it's it's not even an argument really to be had. So the low-hanging low fruit has to happen before we take any steps in the biometric extra gadget. Um, um, you have mentioned this word stretching quite a few times, and I would be remiss if I didn't uh, say how often people think they're tight when they're actually weak. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the, the thing that I tell, whether it's new grads, whether it's students, whether it's physical therapists at a conference someplace, the, the words I use are, are we WD-40 or are we duct tape? What, what is the thing we should be for the person who's right in front of us? And almost everyone to a man would say, oh, well, I can't touch my toes. Therefore, I'm inflexible. And I say, well, when you go to touch your toes, there's like 10 things that have to happen, right? One of them is the flexibility of the posterior chain muscles, your hammies and calves and your glutes. But that's one factor. You also have to have pelvic control enough to hold yourself up against gravity. You have to have eccentric control against all of the stuff that's pulling your lumbar spine down. And if you don't have that and a bunch of the other things, you're not going to touch your toes, but it won't be because your hamstrings are inflexible. It'll be because you're lacking power and leaking mobility in other parts of this chain. So we have to know, are you weak or are you tight? Because I would be willing to guess, and I put my license on the idea that 10% of the people who come in here and say they're tight are actually tight. Those folks are weak. The majority are weak people whose, whose immobility looks like tightness. It might even feel like tightness, but I put them on their back and I lift their leg up the other way, their leg goes all the way up. And I say, well, you couldn't do this when you're standing. How come I can do it when you're lying on your back? Because the only thing, the one thing that has to be compliant, I pushed your leg up for you, is your hamstring. If it allows me to push your foot up into 80, 70 degrees of flexion while you're flat on your back, hamstring flexibility is not your problem. But that same person would go to the internet and say, I have tight hamstrings, what should I do? And they get the strap and they're pulling on their hamstrings and just mm. wasting their time. They're wasting their time because they're doing the literal opposite of medicine that they that they need. So is are there suitable things that we should have at home? Uh, you know, like... I see you've got some great stuff on using resistance bands. You know, it's all stuff you can carry. It's mobile and it's, you know, they're, they're cheap to get and stuff. What other kind of things do you think we should have? Um, or a resistance bands great for warm-ups, cool-downs, that sort of thing? 
I think uh, bands are a fine apparatus. I don't, uh, they're far from the be all. A lot of the videos I do, I, I want to make sure people um, either have ready access to this equipment or could easily have access. So bands are a simple one because you can go to any sporting goods store and, and find band resistance. Um, but you'll notice also we use kettlebells quite a bit, Bulgarian bags, Olympic bars. So even if you have a membership to a very poorly equipped gym or fitness center, you could do almost everything we ask you to do. And a lot of the stuff we make you do is, uh, is also just body, you know, manipulating gravity and, and your base of support to get the same um, benefit out of that drill. Um, but I would say that if you were to build a home gym, uh, some vital necessities would be a set of kettlebells, something um, leaning on the heavier side. Uh, we only use bells measured in kilograms here. So I would say a double set of 20 kilogram bells would be a good heavy-ish place to be. And then something like a 16 and a 12, and maybe you can go lower because there are certain movements, uh, more fine wrist and shoulder muscles that really couldn't tolerate a 12 kilogram bell in certain positions. Um, but the idea is you don't want to get something so light that you can't progress to. It's actually very easy to make something that is very heavy feel light. Once you have made a light thing feel heavy, that's as heavy as it can get. One pound weight held way out here like this. Yeah, that he that's heavy. But if it's a 10 pound weight, you're not holding it out here very long, but I can make you do 45 seconds of holding it at 45 degrees. Okay. You can do that. Now 10 pounds doesn't feel that hard. Well, great. So I've taken your heavy thing, made it feel lighter to accommodate your strength. But as you get stronger, I'm just yeah. going to make you go higher with it. Super easy to do that. So, you know, small set of dumbbells may be necessary. I think kettlebells are too versatile to ignore. Banded resistance, whether you just get lengths of band and then tie them in loops, that's fine. We have some fancy ones that are real big, real thick and fat. looks like a serpentine belt from like an 18-wheeler. Uh, yeah, those are great too. You don't need that. Um, but I will tell you, I, it just drives me crazy when I see other sports med medicine professionals utilizing yellow and green TheraBand as high-level exercise. That isn't high-level anything. I mean, our gym, if you came in here, the majority of my space is big fitness center that looks like it was pulled out of a Division One football program, uh, American football. Uh, with a lot of heavy stuff, tractor tires, sleds, um, just stuff to make you tough and robust and, and have fun while you're fixing all the bits that allow you to uh, get on the mat. Because you see that in some things in Instagram, it's like, because it's available, people use it. And mm -hmm. they have like tools and torture devices for each individual muscle. And, you know, they spend like three hours just prepping before their training and you're thinking... You know, there must be easier ways of getting in shape for this. And I like that. But, you know, you can pick up your, like, social media and go, I'm going to work on my shoulder. Okay, he says five reps of this. Right, cool. And it's a really simple exercise. I just need a band. Superb. I can then do that and go on. Do you think, like, how do we incorporate strength into this as well? Because they say about, you know, like, guys who um, don't use strength in jiu-jitsu which is garbage because as soon as you get two people in the same <laughs> level of technique, the stronger one's going to win. How do we incorporate strength into jiu-jitsu training as well? Yeah, I love that you brought this up. Uh, not to go too far off t uh, topic, uh, Ryan Hall has a bunch of amazing videos and instructionals. I'm sure you've watched them all. It's great. But uh, he, the only reason I bring it up is he has one line in there, which just makes me laugh so hard. And I just I think it's really fun because – Jiu-Jitsu is constantly billed as this sport where you can be smaller and weaker and, you know, still fend off the bigger, stronger person. And that's legitimate. But like you said, meeting somebody with equal skills, every ounce is going to matter. Uh, 
And so Ryan, Ryan says something in this video like, well, I hear people say that that's like a strength move to grab a lapel like that. And I said, well, lift some more fucking weight. <laughs> like, get stronger. It's not a sin to actually be stronger and use a heavy implement to do that. Jiu-jitsu strength absolutely counts. And just like introducing mobility drills inside of your sparring time, if your focus isn't mobility, if your focus is, I know I'm weak, I know I'm not tight, I have learned my hamstrings are not tight. They, my hip muscles, my trunk, they are weak. Okay, instead of that 20 minutes on against the wall doing mobilities, I'm going to grab a kettlebell from the back of the room. Or I'm going to grab a sandbag. Or I'm going to grab a training partner. I'm going to pick them up off the ground. Like, whatever. There are lots of ways that you can use gravity to improve your strength in the exact same manner if you've done sparring as you would doing the mobility bit. And most folks are either one or the other. Me, you know, maybe they might have tight shoulders but weak tummy. Okay, that's fine too. But if shoulders are what I'm working on, I can do shoulder strengthening with a few kettlebells in the 10 to 15 minutes that follow my sparring session while I'm talking to anybody in the room. That's easy to do. So just like we incorporate mobility, you can incorporate strength at the end of sparring sessions. And are you, are you talking to like high reps? Are you lower weights, body no, weights? No, that's right? no. If you think about, I mean, the literature on what's, how you gain strength um, is uh, it, it fluctuates here and there over the decades. I mean, we'll go one, you know, the nineties was uh, three reps max. Uh, you need to be at 95% of your one RM. That is strength. Okay. Yep. Terrific. And then 2000 came around and said, well, you know what? You can go into the five to eight rep range. There's enough time under tension. There's enough eccentric loading. You can build strength there and limit hypertrophy. Like, like hypertrophy is a bad thing anyways. Um, and then they came around and said, you know what? You will gain strength in any rep range, which is a fact also. Now, that's a fact if you think that if we start lifting heavy things, we will get stronger than our baseline. Like, that's not a, a groundbreaking statement. But would lifting a heavier weight fewer times with greater rest be more effective than lifting something 25 times that is light? Well, yes. Yes, that is going to make you stronger, faster than lifting something that light. But I would not discount the person who has never exercised. We're talking again now about people who are just fighting to stay on the mat because they have pain. They have responsibilities. They have to be like, how can I be efficient? Well, the person who needs to be efficient, I'm not going to worry about them doing 20 reps. Like, go ahead, do 20. Do 50. I don't care. You did zero reps before. Zero. So you're going to get stronger. And once you realize, you know what? I'm doing 50 and, and now it's kind of light. Okay, well, now it's time to make a real decision, a grown-up decision about what we're trying to get better. Are you trying to get strong? Okay, and instead of that five-pound weight, grab a 50-pound weight. Oh, but I can't lift that more than a couple times. Okay, go ahead. So what? We're, we still don't need to be like dripping sweat and huffing and puffing and gassed after a strength workout to have gained strength. That's an 80s thing. We used to think that way back in the day. That's gone. Um, so yeah, I would say incorporating strength exactly the same way and, and not being so hard on yourself when it's like, well, how many reps, how much intensity, what's my, what's my RPE? I'm not teaching anybody the RPE scale, man. Like, come on. And actually it's funny because people always ask it. So on every single one of our BJJ physio programs, the RPE scale is written out, you know, fine. If you want to, if you need to be nine out of 10 perceived exertion, okay, go ahead. Knock yourself out. There'll be a point when you get too tired of that and you're going to say, you know, seven works too. And I'll say, yeah, you know what? It does. And I said it before. You could do eight and 10 reps and still get strong. I used to hate that when they'd say, oh, what's your RP? And you'd be like, um, I'm trying to do the exercise. Uh, I'd be like, I'm just. <laughs> are we going zero to 10? Are we going 16 <laughs> and six to, six to 200? Which scale? 
because it's on, like man. they used to do that oh we're going to do some fart like running today or we're going to do you know there's always like mm -hmm. they've just learned you know oh i'm going to do some german volume training and it's like right. just because you know it, it doesn't mean we should be doing it and i like yes. that approach of like you can drop it down you can amp it up you can add it in because i think that's something that a lot of people when they come into the sport are you know, I'm I'm big, strong. I'm a young guy. I need to show my masculinity by beating everybody in this gym. You know, like I need to. I've I've been bullied in school, so I need to prove myself as a man. So they mm -hmm. just go balls to the wall in every role, and they beat themselves up and end up getting injured and leaving. How do we build longevity? How do we roll and get to a point where we're not just crying on the way home because we're in agony every time, and actually? grow and develop as a person and physically as much with, as we learn the sport? Yeah, I think um, it's not going to come as a surprise. You've heard this before, leave your ego at the door, right? You've Every gym, every instructor, every training partner you trust who's been on the mat a little longer than you will say the exact same one line, leave your ego at the door. And that is the thing that sort of bites everybody in the ass. Everyone has done it. I have done it, even understanding full well the consequences of, of you know, going a little harder or trying to match that spazzy white belt's intensity for whatever reason, I don't know why. Uh, or like really going after a submission you don't have full position over, but you probably could get it to work. Yeah, you might be able to, but you're sacrificing your technique, you're sacrificing your health, you're, sacrifi you're sacrificing your joint mobility because like you said, if you try to wedge in those movements, you're going to have another thing to complain about later. You just don't know it yet. So in the beginning, I would recommend um, – uh, the folks who are uh, at the front of the class saying, look, we're going to work positional sparring for a second. Okay, We can go 100% between this position and this position. But once that position is different or broken, we have to come back to 50%, half speed, drill speed. Um, if you can get yourself back to the, we, you know, the thing we just drilled was half guard uh, break to north-south transition. Okay, well, we're back in that drilling thing again. We're both on the same page. We know this is going to be the 100% time. So everyone is aware, you and I as training against one another, I know when you're going to go hard and I'm ready for that. It's not going to be a surprise to me. But yeah. if that person cannot regulate, once I have put you back in half guard, you got to start at that 50% again. Well, you're, you're choosing a different training partner. And that's actually how I have matured in my training. I'm less annoyed at myself for saying, nah, not today, Hoss. You go over in that corner with the rest of the white belts. I'm going to train with this brown belt and this black belt and this purple belt because I know I'll be safe if I tell them, hey, I just had shoulder surgery like two weeks ago. And that's actually a true story. Um, I don't want you to touch this arm. <laughs> Can you uh, do me a favor? And yeah, I will trust that they do that. And I would do the same for anybody. Um, and that's, I think, a great way to, to – it's a great way to promote jujitsu as a very familial kind of cool community that you can do that in where – you know, if you're playing tennis against somebody, you could say, hey, can you take it easy? But they, they might not or whatever, you know, because you're not going to hurt somebody playing tennis. But I could really, you know, you and I could hurt each other. And that's not the point. I don't want to break my toys. I want to come back tomorrow and play with you again. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's what I say to people. It's like, get to the point of like where you can trust your training partners. And if you if somebody's a dick and there's rocks in arms and all that, you know, they get kicked out gyms because of it. But a lot of times you just go, okay, I'm trying to remember which interview I had where the guy just said, you know, if you get to a point where you're feeling tired and somebody says, I'm training for a comp, can you get another role? And you know you're tired. He says, at that point, 
I never have anything good ever happens in those roles. I usually get injured. I usually get sore or something goes wrong. And I've learned to say, yeah, sorry, not today. And let somebody else come in. You know, now we've had those experiences, of course, where it's like, hey, I'm training for competition. At least if that's on the front end, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Many times you don't hear that until it's over. <laughs> it's like, hey, can you slow down? Oh, well, I have a thing this weekend. It's like, oh, okay. How about you lead with that? <laughs> then I'll go at comp speed. That's fine. Yeah. But uh, yes, being able to trust those those folks around you, uh, very, very important. And it's, I, I just think jujitsu is a cool, cool community. Uh, you could travel far and wide and the rules are very similar. Uh, how people treat each other at the highest levels, um, how coaches typically interact with students. Um, I'm yet to have a, an experience where I would not go back to a gym. I mean, I've been very fortunate. Because something I was really keen about was injuries. Now, I, I've got a gym where there's a lot of older guys there, but there's a lot of young guys there, and they'll come in and they've got the fingers bandaged, they've got the knee pads on, they've got, you know, they're always getting something wrong with them. You know, they've always got like an ankle strap on or they all seem to be injured in some way. At what point do you stop training? And at what point is it okay to train? Is there such a thing as good, bad pain? When do we know that's a, you're, you know, you're stretching that out, you're getting better, you can train, you know, it's just tying out to another finger, for example. Like when I broke my finger, I used to tape them up um, to another finger. And what's a stop that fucking right now? You're going to seriously hurt yourself, pain. Yeah. Uh, This is a a time when I wanted to make sure folks um, understood that there are BJJ physios near you. They're just not called that yet. We're in the process right now of expanding our network of providers, physical therapists, orthopedic surgeons, trainers who understand the game to be a resource for these folks. Because this is not something, unfortunately, that I can do in three hours or five hours or 10 hours. This takes a long time to understand tissue healing, but I can give you the basics. If you sense an injury, you sense that your body went into a place, your neck or your shoulder, that it doesn't like to go and might hurt or might have hurt you, but you can train through it. It doesn't stop you at that moment. You're likely talking about, we call a moose. It's just shy of an acute grade one muscle strain. A moose is a moment of, oh shit. It happens right before an actual injury. You will have pain. It usually will not be immediate. It usually won't be when you get in your car. It usually won't be when you get in the shower. It usually won't be when you go to bed. It's usually when you get up. And probably for the first 30 or 80 or 90 or two hours. You know, um, there's there's time that goes by where your body's like, golly, this, I got a fascial thing. I can't tell if I tore a muscle. I can't tell if I hurt my neck ligaments. Those I would not um, stop someone from going back into the gym either the next day or going to train with some weights or do some cardio or some mobility work. It's the ones that stop you in your tracks. And you mentioned an injury earlier where you were doing something and forgive me for forgetting about it, but um, where you went, that hurts now. Like, and I can't continue sparring at this intensity because of this pain. Well, that is a dead giveaway. Do not train anymore and self-assess. So, um, when you go into any portion of the BJJ physio, you get asked a bunch of questions. How long have you been hurt? What movements can you can't do? Um, that's uh, essentially my triage brain spilled out in internet form. So it's the same questions I would ask anybody. Once I understand the places you can and cannot move, given your mechanism, we could say, all right, you tore X muscle or you injured Y ligament. Having that information, we can say, all right, you can do 
this movement, that drill, this position, this submission, and that exercise. None of that should hurt you. But you can't do this or this or this or this or this for the first week. Because given what you have told me and the structure that is likely bothered, these movements would offend it, but these movements would promote healing. So on top of our regular programming, we also have what goes with that, our do's and don'ts regional injury kind of list. So if you have a knee injury and you're a phase one knee injury, here's five drills you can do with no fear of injuring your knee further. And here's five drills you shouldn't touch for the first weeks. Phase two, here's what you can do. And the list of what you can't do gets smaller. In phase three, here's more of what you can do. And the list of what you can't do is almost empty. And that's how everyone should think about injuries like this. Hurt my shoulder. Where is it right now? What movements can I not do? How is it going to affect me? Training, mobility, jujitsu, and then execute the plan. It's all very simple once you've got the knowledge about what you should be working on. Because I'm sure we've all seen that guy who, you know, something pops in their arm and they put their arm into the belt and they continue rolling with three limbs and you're like, I've had that happen to me. I I think it was an Americana I was trying on a guy and he was fighting and he's fighting in it. And all of a sudden, something fractured in his arm. And I felt absolutely terrible. And I said, oh, look, let's go away. We'll get, we'll get you looked at because one, one of them was a, a nurse at the time. And I was like, no, no, let's just stop, stop. And he goes, no, no, it's fine. And he put his arm into his belt to kind oh. of strap it in. And I was like, it's not that serious. It's <sighs> at the end of the day, you've got to go home and look after, you know, pick up your kids or work. And you need your, you need mobility and think why would you take a risk it's something like that and i think that's a great way of looking at it is like the grading uh, this is what you can do this is what you can't do this is what you really should avoid doing how so how do you get guys to mentally understand that that you know they're they're taken from paul to pay john at the minute yeah that they're severely hurt could potentially screw themselves up for future damage Mm -hmm. How do how do we get young jujitsu players to understand that we want them to be doing this for a long time, but they can't go the spazzy white belt stuff? Mm-hmm. With you know, they need to learn to roll effectively and efficiently. Well, that's two questions. I don't know that I can answer the second question. I myself, hmm. uh, I'd make a lot of money if I could. <laughs> <laughs> not a black belt, uh, and so how you make someone really slow down and think about this as that that 3D chest, like you talked about, that's that takes years. And usually it takes being the bad side of that coin and being told by someone you respect, you're doing this too fast, you're, you're doing it with poor technique, and I'm going to beat your ass until you get it right. That's usually, and that's how I had to learn. Like, I'm like, I'm going forward, here I come. And I'm like, and then, oh, here's your guillotine, uh, here's your dars. Here's your sweep. I'm on my back. I'm in the air. Like, how, how did you just do that to me? And so after that humbling process, which I think is the most effective way to get people to slow the hell down, um, getting them, getting young and old jujitsu players to understand uh, that it is, these are the tools of our trade. These are, you know, your shoulders, your elbows, your back, your knees are the things that allow you to play this game. And if you knock out a leg, the rest of your body, if you don't stop doing the thing, is going to go, well, you know what? How do we how do we make this work? Because your body is really good at this. All right. We no longer have a right foot because my ankle has been wrenched in a million pieces, but I have, I can kneel on that side. 
I could, I could lean on the outside of my foot. Okay. That doesn't hurt. Well, now you're placing all these muscles on the side of your foot and your calf and your, your knee under greater strain. So now you have taken that lower extremity's ability to fight off the mobility on the edge of pain and you've pushed it right to the edge, like right there. And then once you're off the edge, boom, there's a catastrophic failure. If you can impress upon that person the kind of compensation that is happening when an injury like that occurs and they don't listen to their body, then the light bulb goes off. Sometimes it requires a level of maturity that you can't teach. You just got to, the person's got to get older and maybe not care so much that they got tapped by a smaller person or a lower belt or something. Uh, I don't know what that is. Again, that's that second part of that question I won't be able to get. But the first part about creating a good self-advocate for how do I, how do, I do this in a way that's... Um, has uh, longevity built into it. Um, hmm. The first step is understanding when those injuries happen that you can't just blast through and, and compensate around. Because it's like explaining to somebody why to trim your nails, why to wash your gi, why to wash your belt. Things that you shouldn't need to explain, you know, like don't pass around ringworm because you are you haven't taken your gi out your bag. All that kind of silly things that you think would be common sense. No. Yeah. And it's terrifying that you need to explain that like we had a guy who would roll for a couple hours a day and hang his gi up in the change rooms and he would just come in the next day, put it back on next day, put it on. To say that you you didn't want, you would tap because he would lift his arms up was an understatement. You know, it was vile. And yeah. I think that's what we had to explain to people. It's like sleep's great, water's great, but wash your bloody gi, wash your belt, wash your <laughs> That's <you know>. easy. <laughs> That's easy stuff. I mean, that's another way to ruin your toys. If I gave you ringworm, I can't play it with you. Hmm. That's an easy one. We're talking about laundry, man. We're not even, this isn't hard. <laughs> this is simple stuff. And it's like yeah, washing machines, 30, 30 degrees. Some of them got like 30 minute cycles, 59 minute cycles. Throw some powder in, bang, done. Hang it up, you know, let it air dry. And that's what I think we overcomplicate it. We're looking for hacks and tips where it should yeah. be just like the basic stuff. So say you had a, a fat 39-year-old weird guy from Scotland coming in to see you and you were to set me up a weekly training program and you were to say, okay, I'm working, I do three nights of jiu-jitsu. Would you say, you know, half an hour of strength training a week, two two sessions of mobility. How would you plan a week? How, you know, what days would you have rest? Have you got a rough sort of idea to like a kind of flavor of a training program? For sure. Absolutely. Um, I might ask first, what did you have ready access to as far as strength training equipment? Many gyms, We'll keep kettlebells, mace. Uh, so our, our gym, you know, we have kettlebells, mace, Bulgarian bags. And they have a CrossFit gym completely decked out in one of the facilities, which is great. I don't tend to go to that one anymore um, as I've moved recently to a different location. So it's easy. Um, but in a pinch, I mean, if you have a couple of kettlebells at home, you get in your car after your training, you get in there and um, you you would not need to do a warm up because Essentially, you've been training for an hour and now your body is, you should be pretty, pretty ready to go. Uh, if hip mobility uh, is a priority, a thick layer of that story, then I might begin with um, uh, what would look like warm up movements, but really they're built to prime trunk flexion and extension, whether it's an inchworm, a modified version of a bear crawl or a burpee. Um, and then 
from there, just start turning the screws. So, all right, we're going to turn that inchworm into a step back burpee, holding the bell with one hand and then into a row. And then you're going to jump your feet up and then you're going to stand. So you've turned one movement into a back and shoulder exercise. And then it's mirror image movement is a hips hamstring exercise, but it's the same one move. So you basically did two reps and you did only one motion. So you saved yourself a lot of efficiency there. And I would probably stack movements in the hip and back in that way. So you would do a hip and back movement, sort of involve both of those things, and then throw in an upper extremity wrinkle, like an arm movement, press, a pull, uh, whatever, curl, doesn't matter. And then I would go into sagittal uh, frontal plane movement. So one is sagittal plane is north and south, and frontal plane is east and west. Okay, so now I take that same kettlebell, and let's do a lateral lunge. Step out wide to one side, tap the bell on the ground near the instep of that foot, stand back up. All right, so now we have hip work, trunk work. My shoulder is turning towards the front of my body, so I've got to then bring it back. So I've got more scapular work, more upper trunk extension. That's good for your neck. And just repeat that. And probably I would easily be able to build a three or four movement circuit where it would take you 20 minutes with one bell, one dumbbell, one heavy kid, I don't care. And, uh, you know, just make it work, but you have to do it. But I would do it on the same nights as training, especially as we get older. Again, we want to take advantage of the time we have in healing. And if you trained on a Monday night and then on Tuesday said, oh, I got to get my half hour of strengthening in, you really never gave your body the full shot at regenerating all that tissue and using your good nutrition and using your good hydration and using your good rest to build everything back to as close to normal before your next sparring session. Mm. Cause I hear guys in the changing room, sometimes they'll be talking about, Oh, they do. I do the morning session and I do a night um, training as well. Then you'll have the next right. guy come in and say, I work, I come in every day. Like I do five nights of jujitsu and I'm sitting there going, that just sounds tiring listening to it. You know, I do like the, we do, uh, there's an hour um, fundamentals and then we, there's an hour advanced class. So we just do like two sessions, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And that works yeah. well because I can do podcasts Tuesday and Thursday and all that. I couldn't imagine having to go away and do an hour of strength, an hour of this, go for a run and all, you know, I need, I think that's what a lot of people kind of understand. Once you start learning jujitsu, it's tiring enough doing the moves and the demands of the rest of it. You can't throw in 50 extra thousand things to, you know, you just need to eat right. You just need to sleep right. You just need to like, you know, get a rest, sleep right and live as well. It's, I would challenge anyone who said that they train that much with what do you do for work? <laughs> what, how many kids do you have? Uh, what's your commute look like? Uh, short of asking how much money they make, I'd be like, you probably don't have a very busy, productive life right now. If you're able to train mm. twice a week, which I would trade with anybody for right? Like I'm don't, please don't get me wrong. Uh, I would rather train multiple times a day, every day, but I have other stuff as you do to accomplish. Uh, to keep the ball rolling. Um, but that, I, I would really hate for somebody like you to hear someone like that and feel bad about yourself, which I think is the default. Like, oh, that person's doing more. They must want it more. They must be better. They must mm. have more in them. It's like, no, actually the opposite. Because I think about all these people I follow on Instagram who show me Every weekend they're out there at competitions and they're doing great and they're getting podiums and they're, you know, super popular. But you know the question I ask myself? I don't go like, oh, what's the training program? I go, I wonder what they drive. I wonder how big their house is. <laughs> because I can guarantee it ain't a nice car and it ain't a big house. 
unless you're Gordon Ryan, Ryan Hall, or any of these guys who you know are making big money, the rest of the other guys are doing it just because they love it. I would not say to stop it. Go ahead, do your two and three a days. Do your, we called it the capital trifecta. So the gym I belong in is capital MMA and fitness um, and elite fitness. And they have CrossFit areas. So guys would be excited about getting the CrossFit in, getting the jiu-jitsu class in, and getting the Muay Thai class in. Like one after the other after the other. And I just think, golly, how good could your Muay Thai class be if you're doing an hour of strength and then an hour of jiu-jitsu and then you're going to go hit bags and jump ropes? Like, like wasting your time. You're asking for overtraining injuries, which people, that's another topic by itself. Like how to sense overtraining because you can sense it, but you got to be real crystal clear about yourself. And all the people we've been talking about so far, the ones who you know, blast through injuries and don't care about, you know, doing the maintenance, that's to- that topic of, you know, is, is so outside of their, their uh, uh, field of vision. It's not even worth talking about. Um, but um, yeah, like I said, these people have to um, have a high priority on their jujitsu and that's great. More power to them, but they will soon realize that two or three days is not something you sustain very long. Because that's usually a student who says that. You know, you're like, what would you do? Oh, you're a student at university. Right. Oh, you're 19. Ah, okay. You live with mom. (laughs) Ah. It's like, oh, they cook for you and they clean for you. No, I hate you. You I said, you want to trade? I would trade. Because that's what I used to bug me. They would go, oh, yeah, I don't. Oh, my mom does all my cooking. She washes all my stuff. And I'm like, I really hate you right now. (laughs) Now, you have this amazing platform. You have this amazing website. You're developing it. What do you want the evolution of your brand to be? You know, how do you want to take it? What have you learned about incorporating your brand, social media, leadership? You know, because you, you're building this juggernaut of a following. How, what do you want to do with it? And what have you learned from it? Um, I think if I could put my finger on a single goal, it would be that um, if you were to be injured on the mat, you would feel some form of comfort saying, oh, I just got to go check out the BGJ Physio. Mm-hmm. If I just go to bjj-physio.com, I will get answers. I will get them right now, and I will be able to put pen to paper. I will be able to put my feet to the street. I will be able to action item my injury away because here is the list. That work's been done. I've answered the questions. I feel safe, and I feel protected because someone out there has already thought of the ways I could possibly hurt myself and begun the process to teach me how to treat my own injuries. When that happens, I will retire. When I hear anyone say that I have been coaxed first, oh, I got hurt. I'm, I got to get to that website so I can figure out what to do about my elbow today. Like, I don't know I have one. That's it. But I have learned along the way, it is hard to make people drink from the well. You can give all the information. You can have pretty videos. You can have good sounding videos. You can have good lit videos. You can have short videos. You can have long videos. You can have informative ones. You can have funny ones. You can have Making them go and do it and executing is the most difficult part. I'm still figuring it out. Hmm. If you have ideas, I'm welcome to them. If you're, if people want to comment down below about how the world to get a bigger reach, what we have done recently that I think is really going to be useful uh, is started the uh, formal process of filling out our affiliate network. So just as I had mentioned, those jujitsu players that compete all the time and have a big following and really showing off what they do. Well, those are the ones who are followed by people like me, these enthusiasts who are like, let me see this crazy thing this guy's going to do. But when I see it, I want to know that that guy also has a resource. And when that person says, well, hey, I train here. And when I get hurt, this is the way, this is where I go to get that information. 
we build a network out like that where people who are excited about training and staying training and keeping their training partners training, that will expand our reach as well. So I think that's where we're at now. We're building that affiliate network, not only with YouTube stars like Eli Knight and Carlos Rosado and you know Hoist, um, but with people like you and me who just compete and like it a lot and want to see our training partners continue to train. So we're, we're, we're hitting it from a couple different angles. Because I loved when I came on and there was like Eli Knight who I've interviewed and I was like, he's such a nice guy, you know, and I was thinking, oh, I could recommend Chewy, Stephen Keston, you know, there's all these amazing people who have, who I've interviewed, I was thinking they would fit well, you'd be perfect to go on their show and, you know, to Mm -hmm. get that kind of message out there. And I heard a lot of guys in the change rooms were like, what's, what was that on Instagram? Oh, you know, they were wanting to have a look at it as well because they were interested in it. And I think that's the, the beauty is there's the great resources out there like yours, but a lot of guys don't know about it. And yeah. now that you're doing the social media and you're doing the videos and you're doing the YouTube, people are going, how do I fix X in jujitsu? Oh, there's a guy that does. Right, perfect. And then they'll mention it to a friend and it builds from there. And jujitsu's become cool and it's got all these celebrities doing it. So now you're, the world is your oyster to really to tackle this. For somebody who's coming into this fresh, who's just found you and thought, oh, this guy's awesome. I want to let, follow more. What can we do on the BJJ Physio site? What can we do in your social media? How should we use your content to become not just better grapplers, but longer grapplers and able to yeah. survive jiu-jitsu? Sure, yeah. So the first step, obviously, is get us on all of our platforms. Uh, the BJJ Physio, as well as Spark Physiotherapy, uh, has uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, all the normal places you sort of expect, folks. I'm happy to give you all the credentials so people can just click on there and follow. And um, I, uh, one of the, the, the reasons why we have uh, added uh, this virtual visit option for folks who visit bjj-physio.com and want some extra handholding is because what hurts Wednesday is really popular. <laughs> um, I I really enjoy giving people the answers, but I get 10 seconds. Sometimes I have to make like a bunch of story posts to get somebody answered a question, but I enjoy that so much. I was even, I even saw your questions about how we were going to do some of this, this podcast interview as um, man, I think a lot of people could could benefit from this answer. So I, I, read them, I wrote them all out and you're going to see them sprinkled as we continue to uh, chat up your podcast and other opportunities that we're going to have to discuss discuss some of this stuff awesome. with other people. Um, we'll be using some of that content. So I really appreciate your help in, in um, fleshing out some of the ideas and the questions that people have that I wouldn't have formulated myself. So thank you for that. Um, but hit drop a DM, you know, give me a private message, shoot me a message, shoot me a question. I enjoy answering those so much. Um, I will probably get yelled at by my wife for being on my phone longer than I have to, but <laughs> it's one of the, again, we, um, uh, we are doing the virtual visit thing so that I can give a little bit more time for individual answers. These are 15 minute appointments. Uh, the 15 minute appointment will come with a six week program. will come with the do's and don'ts, uh, return to the mat, uh, uh, rubric, um, and a bunch of other stuff. So, uh, staying involved with me is easy because I will not turn anybody away. You got a question, you have a comment. I want to engage. I want to help. If there's something that uh, is bothering you, I have done videos on YouTube purely from comments or questions like, hey, can you do a video about this elbow thing? I dislocated my elbow. Yes, done. Okay, that's an important one. We're going to put it out first and then I'll mention so-and-so's name and here's your video. Here's your answer. Hmm. So uh, yeah, it's really easy to get in touch with me. And um, if you don't want to do the virtual visit, you could just take the program, uh, which can be purchased right on the website as well, and just follow the program. And if you have questions, 
every one of the exercises on the program has a demonstration video of me performing the exercise. So you can try it out. If you're confused, oh, that's how it's done. And we go do it. And we try to just spoon feed all the important bits uh, so that we make sure everyone's got uh, the foundational information correct and they're not doing anything that's going to hurt themselves. Cause it's, I love the, the video you do on YouTube where you're showing like a day in the life of you and you're going in and everybody's stopping you every five minutes going, I see that back every and you're time. like, do you mind if I get changed? And it's like the guy <laughs> popping over the urinal, just like, well, you know, can I show you this while you're having a pee? And you're like, hey, come on. And yeah, yeah, I think that must time. be the most annoying thing is like everybody stopping you going, oh, you know, while you're here, how do I do this? Or what's, what's this? And. It's... You know, if, I, if I didn't like it so much, I would be really annoyed. Uh, it, it's funny, uh, and I can't remember right now, but there'll be a uh, this um, Chad Malone, uh, is a terrific black belt. Uh, uh, he's a hoist Gracie black belt. He is one of the owners of Capital MMA and Elite Fitness in Norton, Virginia, where uh, we have done some partner partnership and some collabs. And he is the other currently the only other BJJ physio in our network. So virtual visits will be spread across our entire platform. And so he is very militant about do not ask. he's a I'm sorry I should preface he's also a physical therapist like he's trained just like I am but he's much better at jiu-jitsu than I am and um, he will tell someone flat out do not ask me questions during training like I'm trying to train too go ask Carlos or buzz off because I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore <laughs> he owns a gym now he doesn't treat anybody anymore but he easily can answer the questions and so and we're excited about folding him as well as other uh, physio, surgeon, trainer, jujitsu players into our mix. And so it's not just me because I mean, again, I am the BJJ physio as it is right now, but mm. um, there are many jujitsu players who are practicing sports medicine who want to help more rappers. Uh, and we want to assist that connection. So uh, people have ready access to the kind of information they need right when they need it. And what advice would you give to people? I mean, I've got a friend just now who's a bodybuilder, getting doing competitions, physique, modeling, all that kind of stuff. He's training just now, like in university, and he's wanting to come into the physio industry. How would you advise people who are coming into the physio industry to to level up physio? You know, like like you're doing, like making it sports specific, really getting into the nitty gritty, actually doing the things that you're talking and teaching people to do how what would you do to improve the the physio industry and how would you what advice would you give to people who want to get into it i hope you have a lot more time this is gonna be a fun question i talk about this all day long um the reason is uh i believe unfortunately that, the, that physiotherapy as a discipline has gone so far to the side of volume first um, how many patients can we churn out in our little PT factory? We call it. I've, uh, we coined the phrase PT mill about 10 years ago, and now it's popping up in every damn blog post about physical therapy. And it's like, can you at least give me some credit? But in any case, what I would consider the big next step is making more people into what we call next gen PTs. It's a, it's a hashtag that we use on our Instagram profile for uh, the Spark Physiotherapy page. I have it and big letters on our wall. I tell all students, I tell all physical therapy colleagues that um, if you want to treat people in the way that they are seeking to be treated now with an interest in a sport or some form of niche, you have to incorporate exercise uh, in planes and under intensities that match what they're going back to do. Yeah. Right now, the model is, all right, can you sit at your desk? Can you walk up the stairs? Can you get in and out of a car? Okay. 
your insurance is not going to pay me to make you jump again or be able to pull off one arm in an arm and guillotine or get out of someone's senkaku. Like, I don't, what the hell? I can't spell senkaku. What, what's the, oh, it's the 411. Oh, what? not even, not, it's not more helpful. So you, we have to find people who can dedicate their time to that return to play side. So that means interviewing your physical therapist. That means asking the questions, okay, um, am I going to be seen with four other people at the same time while I'm see, uh, being seen in physio? Am I going to get exercises? What kind of exercises? Am I going to be using heavy weights or am I going to be using light bands that I could use at home? If you could do any portion of your physical therapy at home, stay home. Don't waste your money and your time and your frustration eventually that you're not going to get the results you want because you use a weight or a resistance or a plane of movement that was not specific to the thing you want to go do. Everything you do, once you are off the table, pain-free enough to move around, should look like your sport. So if you're a, a footballer, we're going to do work in the agility ladder using a soccer ball. Like we're going to throw a ball at you and make you kick it back while you do this fancy agility thing for your ankle pain. If you're a baseball player, I'm going to make your hips rotate hard. We're going to be against our, our medicine ball wall. We're going to throw big, heavy balls against that. It's going to look just like swinging and throwing. If you're a jujitsu player and you get stuck in this one position all the time because your shoulder doesn't move in a certain way, I'm going to wheel mats out and we're going to get down on the ground and we're going to do that because that is that's what you want to do. That's what fills your soul. So it has to be part of how we plan your thing. And that's the question that should be asked when you call a physio. Not, mm -hmm. do you take my insurance? How much is it going to cost? Like, if those are the questions you're asking, you've already told us your priority about being a good mover. Because you said you want it to be free more than you care about it being effective. I don't see anybody who doesn't think that, who thinks that way. We're, people who come here are motivated. We keep them motivated. And then we kind of get them out of here fast, which is sort of bad for business, but it's good for everyone else. So I'll, I'll take that. Because it is something you see is like, you know, a lot of physios kind of go, no, no, I don't, I'm, you know, I don't know enough about the sport. I, I'm just here to make sure that you can move your shoulder forward and it not, not click, you know, I want you to be able to lift, reach over your head and, you know, is it, are you not in complete agony? All right, that's fine. Let's move on, you know. Whereas yeah, yeah. you're going into this level of depth and actually making people better at the sport by understanding the sport and teaching them how to do the sport. And you're doing amazing work. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I would tell you too, and I wanted to retouch on this, your friend is probably already further ahead than he realizes. If he's somebody who is bodybuilding, hmm. then it's someone who's obviously got foundational knowledge, deep foundational knowledge of basic Olympic lifting probably advanced Olympic lifting, probably advanced powerlifting, absolutely has knowledge about nutrition, has knowledge about um, mindset, has knowledge about rest. Because I did a little competitive bodybuilding in my way back days. And um, that's a whole other animal. So what he would, what he will realize in his physical therapy schooling is that he'll be so far ahead of the rest of the class and understanding normative movement that when he graduates, He'll be real close to already being a next-gen PT. That's the piece that is missing in physical therapy curricula as it stands now. PT students come out with a degree, and the only exercise they know is the low, low-level variety. Low intensity, only against gravity, very light bands, very uh, compromised or complicated cases. And that's super important, but that's not the majority of the moving world that goes to physio. Hmm. The majority of the moving world wants to go do something fun, and it's their body is stopping them. That should be the goal. And your friend's in a, on a good track. 
just tell him to keep going. And if he's got a question, oh. I love it. I, I love how like enthusiastic and motivated and the passion and it comes across in your stuff. I loved how like a lot of the comments you had on your site, for example, was why are you always beating up Noel? You know, people like are getting in, they're enjoying that jokes there. Noel's famous. Yeah. <laughs> She's always beating me. That last place, she was choking me. She had me in a triangle and she was doing kettlebell presses. I'm like, this is embarrassing. Okay. It's I love how like they're actually getting to know the people involved and they're getting involved in the in jokes and all that because I was like, this is it. This is it. and I've shown it to other people and they're like, Oh, that looks awesome, I'm gonna check it out. Nice. Um I mean I'd love to do a round two and really get into stuff and that, you know, I think I could talk to sure. you for hours because I've had a great laugh with this. But for people who I've got like three kind of wrap up questions now. The first one we discussed before we started. What is an unusual fact about yourself? You knew it was coming. I love it. Um, what would you say is something that when people hear, they go, you what? You know, like what's something that blows people away when they hear it? So I mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, one of my hobbies is when I watch sports uh, to sort of analyze, uh, deeply analyze injuries, things that happen, you know, oh, that's green, that he's hobbling off. Okay, well, we'll go back and you probably hurt this or this or this. And so I take a very different look at movement. I just analyze it all the time. Uh, and usually because I want to see that athlete perform well, move as fast as possible, be impressive. I think human movement and the, um, the level at which we can move our body through space is just astounding sometimes. However, when it comes to figure skating, and right now we've got figure skating happening, it's uh, the Winter Olympics are going on. Um, I, the only thing I want to happen is to see these girls fall and suck. <laughs> <laughs> It is so different than the way I watch any other sport. I mean, and the guys too. I mean, the guys are all so amazing. But I just want to see like a like an embarrassing spill because I'm a terrible skater. It's one of the things athletically that I am just really, really bad at. And I, I'm, I almost have like a phobia of hitting, hitting hard ice. Ugh, that hurts a lot. And um, so I don't attempt it and I don't, uh, I don't claim to be better than any of these people. But it is – it gives me a special – disgusting kind of joy to watch people <laughs> hit the ground <laughs> skating around it's, and i just that's just my my brain and i'm sorry i apologize but that's just where i go i love watching those kind of like you know here's all the bloopers and you're like ah oh, you can keep all the good stuff let's just go to yeah. that. you know it's always like that. the um whose line is it anyway i don't know if you watch that like the yes, yes. Uh-huh. and it's always the stuff that they put on youtube as too hot for tv and you're like yep because you know they're going to let them run riot and stuff and watching yeah. top performers screw up is part of the joy yes. of life sure sure i mean you know these people are doing amazing things and my wife you know gives me elbows and that's me stop being me i'm like i'm at my house on my couch watching my television i want to enjoy this how i want to enjoy it i'm sorry it's mildly offensive it's definitely different how I, from how i usually watch sports but uh yeah uh, i have no uh no love for figure skating. <laughs> and what would you want people like say, um, before we go into like the social media handles and stuff like that? But what would you want people to take from this as a kind of a message apart from coming onto your site and you know like signing up and using your services and emailing and stuff like that? What would you want people to remember from this interview as a kind of like it can be bullet points, it could be a kind of a generalization. Um, what would you want people to remember from this? You know, it's something that I tell my kids and, um, 
it's taken some personal hardship and some recent things that have been going on to understand kind of the meaning. Why do we do any of this stuff? And, you know, um, I want to leave a big wake, not uh, the dead body in a box thing, the uh, boat thing. <laughs> um, I want, when I'm gone and done, retired or dead or otherwise, um, for something to be different because of the work we have done. At least for someone, for anyone, um, outside of my family, right? I mean, my family is going to miss me if I go away. But um, if this thing does what it should do, um, it should leave a, an impact. It should leave a wake that people can can still see and say, you know what? Somebody was here who left something that I could pick up and run with or that I could utilize well after that person's gone. So I don't care if you're an engineer. I don't care if you're an artist or a musician or a mathematician. Like, do, do stuff in a way that leaves a big splash, that your ripples just go forever. You have It takes finding something you're real passionate about, but that's in everyone. From the laziest person to the most hyper-focused person, that desire to do something meaningful is there. It's um, knocking the barriers down as you go and re- realizing that the bigger weight you leave, the higher impact you have. Your legacy lives as long as you, know, as you want. I love that. It's a beautiful way of putting it. And the final question for is always going to be, what would you want people to do to connect with you? How can we get in touch with you? How can we find you on social media? How can we find your website? That sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Super easy. So again, we're, uh, we're at bjj-physio.com to get to the actual website where you can answer the questions. You can book virtual visits. You can get by swag. You can join our affiliate group. Uh, Facebook is easy. Friend me. I don't turn anybody down, really. Um, <laughs> find our page on the B, on the BJJ Physio. It has its own um, uh, Facebook page. Actually, that link is pretty simple. It's facebook.com slash BJJ exercises. So that, you go there and boom, you're there. You like the page. And um, almost everything that we do on Instagram and Facebook are, are mirrored with one another. So you'll almost never miss it if you're on a different platform. We fully recognize and, and I recognize that I probably use Facebook a little bit more than I use Instagram. But um, I do a lot of our promotion of our YouTube channel via Instagram. It just seems to be an easy platform to use. Um, so really, if you're following one of those two or three channels and our YouTube channel, of course, um, you're going to have access to me and I welcome it uh, all the time. Absolutely. And how can we get involved with the, the, you know, the new projects you've got coming out, the, the development of like, are you planning apps? Are you getting newsletters, that sort of thing? Yeah. So uh, right now our biggest focus is our affiliate network. Um, we have uh, two pillars to that, our practitioner network, which is, uh, okay, so if you're a physical therapist and you want to treat more grapplers and you happen to be a grappler, we have a certification. Essentially, it allows me to vet um, that physio and their at least better than basic jujitsu knowledge. You know, I would like to co- collect a group of professionals that I would feel good sending my mom, my brother, my best friends to and feel comfortable about. Um, so once someone is certified, they'll be listed on our website. So if we get, and this is likely to happen, um, somebody from Anchorage, Alaska has something and they need manual therapy. They need a BJJ physio. And I have discussed with them, like, you got to find somebody. And guess what? We have two BJJ physios in Anchorage. Pick one. That's what I I hope um, for the jiu-jitsu world from the practitioner side. On the affiliate side, it's people like you um, who have uh, a passion and are excited about it and train it and talk the language and just want to see their training partners continue to be there for them so they can continue to play as much as they'd like. Um, 
And that can just be an easy DM. Hey, I want to be in your affiliate network and I'll give you an affiliate code. Uh, affiliates get incentivized. So if, let's say you were to send someone over, you give them, they receive a 10% discount on anything they would purchase. And that 10% discount goes to the affiliate. Now, I This is not about making the BJJ physio, Carlos Barrio, a rich guy. It's about leaving a big wake that mm -hmm. I don't care how many more people come after me, it's going to be a useful resource. Everyone gets, uh, enjoys using, finds effective, and the thing will grow whether I'm around or not. Because I think that's what we need is actually not just about learning the art, not just learning to get fitter, is actually learning to do it a long time, to make it a lifelong hobby. And I think that's something you're doing. You're doing amazing work with it. And it's it's stuff, you know, you're, you're changing lives with it and you're making people healthier and you're letting them do a hobby that they love and you're letting them do it for a longer time. And you should be super proud of the work that you're doing. Thank you very much. I'm, we are very proud of it. I mean, our, our tagline is move better, feel great, and roll forever. And that's what we want people to do. <laughs>